All right. Good morning, friends. Can you hear me okay? Good deal. We'll go ahead and dismiss Kid City and New Reality to their classrooms. Um, If it's your very first time joining us here at Providence this morning, just want to say welcome. So glad that you're here, that you decided to take a chance on us and be with us here this morning. Um, As I was preparing to to preach this morning, uh, I just felt an overwhelming sense of gratitude for this congregation. I mean, I could just do a roll call uh, through all the people in this room and those online and those not with us this morning. So grateful for you guys. Glad to be here. Uh, My name is Hunter. We are in a series called The Jesus Way, and uh, we're going to continue our sermon series this morning. I wanted to ask you right off the bat if you remembered a very important date in Western culture. Uh, This date is February 9th, 2009. Anybody remember that day? Remember what was going on February 9th, 2009? Uh, I would argue that this was one of the most significant days in Western society. A few days have so revolutionized the ways we relate to one another as human beings. Anybody remember this day? Know what it was? This was the day when Facebook first introduced the like button. That's right. This day changed everything. Because up until this point, the, wa- the World Wide Web of social media was pretty boring. Uh, on Facebook, all you could really do, they didn't have news feeds or timelines. They just had walls. Anybody remember that? Am I dating myself here? Uh, I was in eighth grade, so surely, come on, some of you. I hope you remember the walls. And uh, the craziest thing you could do on Facebook in 2009 was, like, poke someone, you know, if you're feeling (laughs) super fun and flirty. Uh, But the content that was on Facebook in 2009, the algorithm would bury today, (laughs) right? Like, you would just post things on your wall, like, going to youth group, about to get pizza, hanging with Kevin. And and you could do, like, you know, the emoji, but before emojis were a thing, so it was, like, the semicolon with, like, the tongue, like, the P face, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it was bad. 2023 would bury you for that kind of content. No one is interested. Uh, Today, if you were to post a status update and say, I'm going to get pizza, you would get no likes, none, no comments. Or worse, maybe you'd get two likes, you know, from your great aunt in Idaho, and then your buddy, Brendan, you haven't seen since high school, uh, they, they would like your post. But other than that, it would be crickets. But on February 9th, 2009, a Copernican revolution occurred, whereby we now had a visible mechanism to measure and evaluate your digital net worth, or at least your perceived digital net worth and value. As a result, the like button, I am arguing, has completely cemented performance into all of life. Don't believe me? Just ask a younger millennial or certainly someone from Gen Z. Uh, They cannot remember a time when the like button was not. (laughs) Uh, They were born into this world. Uh, I think we all know that this eye towards performance, toward getting likes, towards earning the approval of other people, didn't begin in 2009. Uh, at least as early as 2004, Swiss philosopher Alain de Botton, who is a bit of a futurist, had this to say about our need for external validation and approval. Uh, he says in his book, Status Anxiety, the attentions of others matter to us because we are afflicted by a congenital uncertainty as to our own value. As a result of which affliction, we tend to allow others' appraisals to play a determining role in how we see ourselves. Our sense of identity is held captive to the judgments of those we live among. Social media, in a nutshell. Just take a minute to let that statement sink in. Haunting, haunting words. 
But Bataan isn't alone in his assessment. Catholic spiritual writer Henry Nouwen comments as well on our compulsive need for self-validation. Nouwen says, compulsive is indeed the best adjective. It points to the need for ongoing and increasing affirmation. Who am I? Am I the one who is liked, praised, admired, disliked, hated, or despised? Whether I'm a pianist, business person, or minister, what matters is how I am perceived by my world. If being busy is a good thing, then I must be busy. If having money is a sign of real freedom, then I must claim my money. If knowing many people proves my importance, I will have to make the necessary contacts. This compulsion manifests itself in the lurking fear of failure and the steady urge to prevent this by gathering more of the same, more work, more money, more friends. And in our digital age, I might add more likes, more followers, more subscribers. We all feel it, don't we? This lurking sense of failure, that we're not good enough, that we don't really measure up, that we should be doing something more, something new, something better with our lives. And this is because the like button may have come around in 2009, but the need for self-affirmation enters our hearts from the moments we are born. In fact, the need for external approval isn't a new one. It's as old as the scriptures themselves. God's word has much to say about this compulsion, what it is, where it comes from, and how to cure it. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus offers his first followers a whole new way to be human. In a collection of talks we've called the, call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives his followers a countercultural vision for what it means to be persons in community. He totally flips the script on how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to one another, and most importantly, how we relate to God. Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 if you've not done so already. In this sermon series, we've zeroed in on three key practices or spiritual disciplines, habits of mind, body, and soul that Jesus gives us to live this countercultural vision of reality. The three key practices that we've honed in on that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 6 are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. We took six weeks in this series to talk about the first two, and today I want to introduce the third, and it is that of fasting. We've noticed in previous messages that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, uh, Jesus says when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He doesn't say if you give, if you pray, or if you fast. He totally expects that prayer, almsgiving, care for the poor, fasting, that these are normal, valid, and expected disciplines in the Christian walk. These are non-negotiable practices in the Jesus way. But Pharisees, the hypocrites of Jesus's day, much like today's online influencers, are more busy sharing and promoting their own content than they are in receiving the love and affection of their heavenly father. Christ says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus' followers down through history and throughout church history around the globe have frequently abstained from food and drink in order to give themselves more fully to God. That's what fasting is. It's spiritual substitution. It's taking one activity that's physical and good, 
but trading it so that you can have spiritual focus with God through prayer and Bible reading and confession. But as American believers, we tend to neglect the spiritual habit of fasting much to our detriment. I don't say that with shame, but just to point out the elephant in the room, uh, not many of us are fasting on a regular basis. Uh, but this is kind of a newer problem as well in church history. It wasn't until the Enlightenment in the 18th century that John Wesley, the man who founded the Methodist movement, if you've heard of that, uh, we actually sit this morning in between two Methodist churches. We have Shorter AME and then um, Scott United Methodist on the other side of the street. And uh, some of you may have heard online this week about kind of an outpouring uh, that's happened at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. That is a Methodist school uh, that's founded in the tradition of John Wesley. So uh, we are still feeling his influence over 300 years later. So when this guy speaks, I think we should, we should listen. He had this to say about the spiritual discipline of fasting. And I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called. Don't you love that? Kind of cheeky both in England and Ireland, who following the same bad example have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from from fasting twice a week as all the stricter Pharisees did that they do not fast twice in the month. Yea, are there not some of you who do not fast one day from the beginning of the year to the end? Ouch. (laughs) Harsh words. Johnny W. is not throwing punches. Uh, He goes on to say this, the one that never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the one that never prays. Now, you may not agree with that. You may actually think that's pretty judgmental, Johnny. Uh, Maybe even a little works-based. But can we just note for a minute how fundamentally different that vision of the spiritual life is from our own? When I think of the top disciplines of my life, fasting is not one that comes to mind. What might Wesley say today? You see, for Wesley and countless other believers down through church history and around the globe, fasting has been, um, it's been synonymous with spirituality itself. Just ask our African brothers and sisters. Well then, what exactly is fasting? Here's the best definition of fasting that I could come up with. Fasting is denying physical appetites in order to cultivate spiritual hunger for God. Fasting is nothing more and nothing less than when we deny physical appetites in order to cultivate spiritual hunger for God. Like some of you, I grew up Pentecostal, uh, spirit-filled, charismatic, whatever you want to call us. Uh, We're the ones who during worship, we have both hands, you know, high to the sky. You can tell us out. The Baptists are in the back, you know, giving a little worship frisbee, you know, hey God. The Presbyterians are like holding on to the chair in front of them for dear life, afraid that if they raise their hands, they'll fly away. Um, (laughs) You won't fly away. Don't worry, I've tried. Um, it won't happen. Uh, and in my tradition, we started every single year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, that might sound kind of intense to you, but for me, this was a totally normal part of the spiritual life. Um, everyone wouldn't fast literally like no food for 21 days. More often than not, they did what's called the Daniel diet, which is basically going vegetarian, uh, only uh, uh, fruits and veggies, no meat, no sweets. For 21 days, some people would fast from sunup to sundown. But this was not weird to me. This was a normal part of the Christian life. I remember myself and many of my friends, teenagers, fasting for one, two, three, five, seven, ten days at a time. I, I personally know four men who have fasted for 40 days. That's not a metaphor. Like, they literally went without food for 40 days. Crazy. The problem was, as you might imagine, this tended to breed a pretty self-righteous environment. 
uh, where fasting devolved into this sort of like spiritual athleticism, whereby we were trying to determine who is the most spiritually elite among us, who can fast the longest. Let me just tell you right now, that is not the Jesus way. (laughs) And the reason why that is wrong is because fasting just for the sake of fasting isn't what Jesus is about. Jesus is about developing wholehearted hunger for the things of God. Not spiritual athleticism to impress or condemn your friends. The Jesus way is about feasting upon our Father's affection more than it is about abstaining from physical food. In our day and age of intermittent fasting and fad diets, I got to be clear about that. Why do we fast? According to the Jesus way in verse 18, we do it that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Listen, we're not giving up food in order to get God's attention. All right, that's crazy. Just because you're hungry doesn't mean God listens to your prayers more. (laughs) God doesn't pay more attention to hungry people any more than he doesn't pay attention to non-hungry people. But I can assure you this, hungry people pay more attention to God. Hungry people are looking to God, focused on him, looking to his affection. And at this point of the service, you may be like, Hunter, I'm quite hungry. Um, (laughs) Our services are always this long, I promise. Uh, Lunch is on the way. But, but if I had to give this sermon a title this morning, it would be this, how hungry are you? Physical hunger isn't what I'm talking about. I need to know, do you have a spiritual appetite for the things of God? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness as Jesus says in Matthew chapter five? Are you like the psalmist in Psalm 42 who says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God? Or do you feel a little apathetic as I do most days? When was the last time You got a little desperate, either for yourself or a loved one, and fasted and prayed and gave up some sort of physical activity so that you could experience the presence of your Father. Let me encourage you. If you're feeling a little shame this morning about fasting, that's not from Jesus. There's no condemnation from our Father. He loves us. And if you've never fasted a day in your life, that's a-okay. I just want to encourage you that if the people in the Bible could fast, you can fast. Jacked up messed up, broken jokers like you and me, real people who in hunger and desperation cried out to God, cleared their schedules, and he moved mightily on their behalf. Moses, David, Esther, Elijah, heck, even the people of Nineveh fasted. Remember when Jonah was swallowed by that fist? Uh, The bumbling prophet called the pagans to repentance, and soon enough, the whole city in sackcloth and ashes begins to fast. Even the animals started fasting. Do you know what kind of revival it would have to be for your golden doodle to start giving up food? (laughs) This is next level. It's amazing. And in case you think this was some dieting exercise that ancient Near Easterners did in the desert for fun, it wasn't. Here are some examples from the New Testament. Anna, a godly woman, fasted night and day in the temple awaiting her Messiah. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, fasted. Paul in the early church during times of intense decision discernment and leadership development set aside nights and days for prayer and fasting. And just two chapters before uh, Matthew 6 and Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus led into the spirit by the, or led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, just a couple chapters later in Matthew 9, Jesus had this to say when confronted about his disciples' lack of fasting says this in Matthew chapter 9. John, his, his cousin's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, 
how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Okay, hey, we're not fasting, we're feasting, all right? We're here, we're having a party, it's a good time. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, then they will fast. Meaning, hey, when I go up to heaven, when I ascend back to the right hand of the Father, I fully expect that my followers, you and me, Providence, Bible Church, year 2023, in the year of our Lord, would fast and abstain from feud. These are just some of the examples I could give from Scripture down through church history. But suffice to say, the basic question before us this morning is, how hungry are you? Do you want more of God? Well, let me just encourage you with this. Fasting is one way that you can give God more of yourself. Give yourself to him and he will fill you. Secondly, why should we fast? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 18, he says at the very end of this passage, so that your father who sees in secret will reward you. I won't go through this now, but Josh preached a fantastic message about five weeks ago now on the topic of rewards. He explained very clearly what they are, Uh, why we live for them, and why as humans we rightly actually crave rewards at like a primal level. Uh, God hardwired us this way. And uh, his basic idea was that when you do something good, there is always, 10 times out of 10, some level of self-interest involved. Uh, As humans, we're hardwired to want rewards. At the bottom of all our giving, all our praying, all of our fasting, we are all motivated to one degree or another by our own desire for happiness. This is true. And the wild part about it is that Jesus actually doesn't condemn that. The problem Jesus has isn't that we're motivated by rewards. He made us, he created us, he made us that way. His problem is that the reward we seek is too small. Josh put it this way, public esteem from others is an utterly insufficient reward. Whew, how to preach. It's good. As Grammy award-winning artist Lecrae Moore says, if you live for their acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. We all know this to be true. So what is Jesus's solution to this crisis of rewards? He says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, don't remove your motivation. No, consider your motivation. When you do good deeds, do so to get the best reward, namely God himself. Jesus himself tells us as much in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Come on, somebody say his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Just last week on Valentine's Day, my wife Kara and I went out to a fancy smancy restaurant and uh, we're a bit of foodies, so we always love exploring uh, new places and checking out new restaurants. Denver's a pretty good city to live in to do that. And uh, we ordered dinner, and we went out and got dressed. I put on deodorant. I mean, it was, man, it was a big deal. It was a big event. Thank you, Junior. Um, it, it was amazing. Uh, but what I realized was that I was not ready for just like the level of this food. They came out and they brought one of these like fancy banquet trays. Have you ever seen this before? Like super bougie. We had a gift card, by the way. Like your ties are, they're good, I promise. Um, But I was so excited for this night. Um, The problem was that I kind of lost focus on the point of the dinner. (laughs) Because all the the dudes were like, yeah, we've been there. Uh, 
I, I, I knew that this love relationship between my wife is the most important thing, but I got a little distracted in the, in the moment. And so what I was f- focused on was not my bride, who I share a love relationship with in front of me. My focus was on this eight ounce, medium rare filet mignon with the blue cheese crust. And it was just, it was sitting there and they came by and lifted the lid and uh, I lost focus of what was most important. I'm salivating now. Just thinking. Anybody want to, who wants to fast? <laughs> oh, man. Now, that kind of distraction is okay for a moment, uh, maybe even for an evening, but how sad would it be if with my bride, I always needed something else in front of me to get to the table? How sad it would be if I always needed a lesser reward to compel me to spend time with her in her presence. And I just want to ask today, church, why is it that that is our way with God? Why is it that with our Heavenly Father, more often than not, we think that this fleeting reward that, sure, it tastes good, it's nice, but here today, gone tomorrow, that that becomes our focus, when in reality, our focus should be the love relationship with our Father that we were always created for. This is the God that we serve. I want to ask this morning, if you and God were to sit down at the table of your life and you began to lift up the lid on your religious motivation, what would be on the table? What is it that keeps you coming to church, going to CG, reading your Bible? Because like the praise of other people, this is an utterly insufficient reward compared to the lover himself. Nowhere is this more true than religious performance. How sad it would be to bypass the intimate love relationship with our Father, our Creator God, simply because we were focused on getting hand claps from people. We need something better at the table. It's empty, it's hollow, it's vain. I've tried it. Don't settle for the like button. Why do we fast? Not to enjoy the fleeting approval of other people. When we fast, we shouldn't focus on people's approval. We should hunger for our Father's affection. Let that be what gets you to the table. Lastly, as we close, how do we fast? Well, backing up a bit to verses 16 and 17, it says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It's unclear exactly what Jesus means here by the term disfigured faces. Um, Some translations, maybe your Bible says gloomy, somber, miserable and disheveled, unattractive, unsightly. What is clear though is that like online influencers today, these people were manufacturing an external reputation in order to garner human praise. Uh, The words in Greek are actually a little bit more clear. Uh, Can you see that? On the screen. I don't expect you to read Greek, but uh, aphanizusin and then phanosin. So aphanizusin is the word on the left, and it basically means to cover, um, to obscure. And then phanosin means visible. And so these people, they have rendered themselves unrecognizable in order to be seen by others. You see that? As many of you know, this past May, I graduated from Denver Seminary, and uh, last July I came on staff full-time here at Providence. And so in between the month of May and the month of July, I decided to take the month of June and just get away, Uh, be with the Lord to fast and to pray. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience. I thank my boss, Katie, and my wife, Kara, for 
giving me the opportunity to do that. It's a very privileged thing to take off work for 30 days. Not everyone can do that. Um, and during that month of June, my, my plan was to fast the full 30 days. Again, my church tradition, this, this wasn't an unheard of thing to do. Uh, much like Jesus in the wilderness, I imagined myself going into this next leg of gospel ministry and I was gonna you know, fight the devil in the wilderness and I was gonna be alone with the Lord and fast and pray and hunger and be with him. But God had other plans because I did not last 30 days. I did not even last seven days. Uh, on day six, I contracted COVID. And um, uh, I, I don't know what your experience with COVID is. I, I know people who have died. I'm, I'm sure you have as well. So I don't want to be melodramatic about my experience. But uh, I know COVID's bad. But try not eating for five days and then get COVID. It was, it was not a fun time. Um, so thanks to my wife's wise wisdom, I broke my fast and got the medicine and the food that my body needed. But boy, was my pride offended. <laughs> Because what I wanted to do was to appear before you and say, behold, it is I. I have fasted for 30 days. What an amazing man of God I am. I wanted to disfigure my life so that at the end of the month, I could be seen by others. I don't think it was my only desire, but it was probably my deepest desire. I wanted to say, look, I fasted for 30 days and Lati freaking da. Who cares? This sort of fasting misses the point. Fasting is not about fasting. Fasting is about our Father. Amen. What God wanted for Hunter Hambrick during those 30 days wasn't for me to do some great spiritual feat for me to be able to say, look at me. He wanted for me to get alone with him so I could say, look at you. Look at the Lord of my life who saved me, who called me, who loved me, who adopted me and wants me, not what I can do for him. He didn't want my spiritual performance. He wanted to give me his presence. And the lesson God taught me in that month was this. When you fast, don't focus on people's approval. Hunger for your father's affection. I am <laughs> the hypocrite, and I need to be alone with God. How hungry are you today? Do you need him to move in your life or in the lives of the people you love, your family, your neighborhood, your city? your world. This, this may sound kind of strange to us, but there's actually this thing called vicarious fasting, where you may not have some sort of issue that you're facing, but because you love someone else so much, you abstain for food so that you can see healing in their life, so that you can see breakthrough in their finances, so that you can see God move in their life. It's not just all me, me, me. This is about the community of God seeking the Lord and crying out on people's behalf. God wants you to want him today more than food, <laughs> more than clothing, more than approval or likes or followers or a nice bank account. God wants you to want him. And the spirit of God this morning is challenging us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but his promise is you will be filled. Amen. You may be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, Hunter, I I'm hungry for God, man, but <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> or maybe you fasted before and spoiler alert, it wasn't a great experience. You were just kind of irritable. You had headaches. Your breath stank. Like it was, you know, nobody wanted to be around you. I've been there. It's, it, it's fasting. It's called a discipline, a spiritual discipline for a reason. It's, 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 it's a challenge. It's hard. And today, I'm not asking you to fast for 30 days or 40 days. Uh, unlike our boy Wesley, I could care less if you fast one day. Honestly, 
what I am dead serious and concerned about for the sake of your soul is that you get away and do this spiritual substitution where you take some normal activity, some normal rhythm that's part of your life, and you exchange it so that you can spend time alone with God in the secret place. Get to the secret place. I want you to fast as you can, not as you can't. Um, And before I get into just some options to kind of set the table for you on on ways that you can fast, it must be acknowledged that there are some people in this room who fasting from food may not actually be a good idea. Um, Some of you moms are pregnant or nursing. Please don't fast. (laughs) Don't don't give up food. Uh, Some of you are elderly or dependent on certain medications and you can't go extended periods without food. That's A-OK. Some of you are day laborers who you need some strength in your physical body for the manual labor that you do. And then lastly, some of you have a pretty complex relationship with food. Um, I'm not naive to think that there are some in this room who you may be abstaining from food, but it's for unhealthy reasons. I want you to know this morning that your father loves you. He approves you. You don't need to do a single thing to earn his approval for your image before people. You are totally loved and approved by the God who made you. But for the rest of us, for those of you who have put this discipline, key discipline, top three in Jesus's list off for long enough, I want to encourage you to lean into this, especially as we enter into this season of Lent. Um, We are on this journey together as a covenant community to remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And growing up, as I did, uh, I thought that Lent was like a Catholic thing, and that was not a compliment. (laughs) Um, uh, Or I thought it was like, you know, the stuff in your pocket, you know, or your dryers, like L-I-N-T, no, L-E- NT, Lent, uh, is a global historic practice that Jesus followers for at least 1,800 years have been following and observing. And it's a time where we prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts, give up something so that we can follow Jesus on his way to the cross. So I want to give just a few ideas, and feel free to snap a photo as these come on the screen, of just some simple things that you could potentially fast. Again, fast as you can, not as you can't. Maybe for you, you just feel the Spirit of God saying, hey, you need to give up some food this week. Maybe you want to abstain from alcohol. Uh, That's something that God wants you to just give up for a season. Coffee, that would be like, man, you're you're a real Christian if you give up coffee (laughs) for 48 days. Man, wow, that'd be amazing. Uh, Digital media, TV, social media, video games, online shopping, I know Amazon is terrible for like everything, but I still do it. And uh, maybe that's a good thing to give up. Or or maybe you want to do a partial fast like the Daniel diet that I talked about earlier. This is just, you can Google this, write in Daniel fast or Daniel diet. It's no no meat, no bread, no sugar, fruits and veggies only. Basically go vegetarian um, for that time. And then next up to think about how to fast. Um, This is maybe just as important for you. Uh, you could start with a meal, and if you've never fasted before, I just really encourage you to start there. Start small. You don't have to do something crazy, some 40-day fast. Maybe you want to do almost like Ramadan style from sunup to sundown. Um, Jewish people, they fast 24 days or 24 hours on uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom, Yom Kippur. Uh, that's something that you could do. Multiple days. Maybe you want to fast a whole week. If you do, please come chat with me. I'd love to give you some tips about that. And then lastly, you could fast repeatedly, whether it's food or or media or whatever, repeatedly during Lent. And again, we're not fasting just for the sake of fasting. (laughs) I need to say that. This is spiritual substitution, taking a physical thing from your life and exchanging it for increased time with your Lord. 
And I should say, don't just spend time with the Lord. Spend time in his word. (laughs) The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, what do you say? Uh, Man does not live on bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Get into the book. Get alone with God. Get into scripture. And I promise you, God will meet you in that place. I'm going to leave this slide on the screen as I invite the music team up as we close in one last song of worship this morning. But my big, big takeaway for you this morning, my friends, is is don't focus on people's approval when you fast. (laughs) Get an appetite, hunger for your father's affection. Why should I hunger, Hunter? Because you have a savior who, though he was in the appearance of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself. (laughs) Jesus went to the cross and emptied himself so that you could be filled. Crucified, his his face wasn't just disfigured, his body was broken, beaten, beyond recognition, as Isaiah says. And why did he become empty? So that we would be filled. And I just want to say, God comes where he's wanted, friends. If you give God this much, he'll show up this much. But if you give God this much, he'll show up even more. And some of you have been coming to church for years and you're in this love relationship. And if you're honest with yourself, you've gotten distracted and you're focused on this temporary reward that's in front of you. But Jesus wants to move this away and just sit with you, just be with you, just look at you. Second Corinthians says that we now with unveiled face are beholding the glory of our God. The old covenant was this thing that was in front of us. It was meant to block and blockade relationship with Christ. But Jesus came into this world so that now we need no more mediator between God and man. We have a great high priest who gave up his life, didn't just fast, but went to the grave and died so that we could have relationship with him. Do you know him today? As we close this morning, I want to invite you to stand and quietly bow your heads, close your eyes, put your things aside. Just to begin to consider for a moment what it is that God wants you to give up so that you can get more of his presence. My challenge for us is that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear him lack nothing, Psalms 34 says. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The prayer team is down front. If maybe God spoke with you this morning, there's no shame. Please come down. God's spirit is here. They would love to pray with you. Uh, Pastor Alvaro is to my right. If you are a Spanish speaker, uh, Josh and Jocelyn are here in the center and on the side. Come, let God speak to you in this moment. Let's respond and worship today.